Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, even in this deal right here that we just did with the 800, the property was so, um, it wasn't strong enough to carry a mortgage by itself. We needed to execute, we needed to refinance another property that was paid off that we had bought years back, you know, for less than 5 million that's now worth 25 million because it was, you know, mismanaged. The person didn't, you know, had the managers. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> it what? In the back of your mind, your dreams should be real, right? And- Thanks all for tuning in to Dreamcatchers, where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dream. Are you ready? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dream Catchers Podcast. I'm your host, Jerome, and I got my new best friend, the main man from just outside of Philly. Last summer, they closed $50 million deal, him and his partner, 800 doors, Mr. Sharma. How are you, my friend? Man, I'm good. Got a little bit of head cold, but I'm here rocking it. And I appreciate you fighting through the... I want to say happy Martin Luther King's birthday, man. I was just thinking about today, the, the words free at last, free at last. Yeah. And God almighty, we are free at last. <laughs> and you know, that, that, those words to me are more than just civil rights, you know, like it's just the freedom to be, do, and have. And most importantly, the freedom to just be yourself. I'm still working on that. You're not working on that. I mean, all of our conversations, you, you probably come across as one of the most genuine people I've ever met. So, you know, you reached out from LinkedIn and we've been rocking ever since the first day we talked. I saw a comment, you dropped some fires in the comments on me. I was like, who's this guy? Then I started doing my research and I was like, how has he been hiding? He's been flying under the radar. Like, nobody does a deal that big. I think that's also, we connected on the thing, freedom. You had posted some video about freedom, and I right. gave my little freedom rap about, I dropped a little few lines of my freedom rap, you know? <laughs> freedom isn't free, it's what the few choose to be. So, I mean, you, we, you've told me a lot about your, your journey over the past month, month and a half. And I just, 
I, I want to give the listeners a peek behind the curtain on how does something, a deal like that come together? I know you, you walked away from it a couple of times and then you came back to it. So give, give the listeners a little bit about your background and let's talk about the deal a little bit and then talk about where you're going, if you don't mind. Yeah, so my background is I kind of, I've done a lot of, a lot of different things, but I, my, when, when I was 10 years old, my father bought his first apartment complex. He bought a 54 unit. He got owner financing on it. And then he, you know, eventually bought another unit and another unit. And later on, you know, and I was just in the business as, at an early age, you know, painting apartments, cutting the grass, doing all the heavy lifting that, you know, didn't know what I was doing. And then later on, you know, became like a property manager at different properties that we acquired as I got older. And a big part of me, like one dude, one just was looking for a way out, trying to do anything but the apartment business, you know? Um, but then I just finally settled in over 20 years ago, I settled into it. And, um, and at some point I, there was a shift between being a worker and an employee and being a property manager to being an owner operator and investor. And um, that's when I found my niche. I found my thing, whatever you want to call it. So why would you run away from the family business? Why, why did you want to do something else? Because growing up, all I saw was the headaches. You know, I mean, I saw how we were able to, to scale up, you know, and come, become more comfortable. Because when I was born, or not when I was born, but early, early childhood, like when I was in second or third grade, we all lived in a one-bedroom apartment. You know, we didn't come from much. And not even a one-bedroom apartment, a one-room apartment. A studio. So like just, yeah, yeah, just a one-room apartment. There was no bedroom. You know, the, bed, the room had the bed in it. And there was a, a, a separate bathroom. That was about it. Everything else, the kitchen, everything. You could see the bed, kitchen and everything from the bed. So, yeah, it would be a studio or efficiency, I guess you would call it. And so you were born in India and then you guys came over. Or were you born here in the States? I was born in India and I came here at a very young age of two years old. Okay. And then your dad, you were telling me about your dad and how he, um, he lied about his education so he could get a job in the factory. Well, yeah, at one point he had to like, you know, you couldn't come into the, get a factory job and say you're an engineer because he had engineer training. So he had to say I was a high school, high school graduate. So they give you a job because they're not going to give a job. And it was working, you know, minimum wage, minimum wage was I think a dollar something back then. But and he was a very, you know, he came from the beginnings, you know, and then he started with a business. A 7-Eleven was the first business somebody talked him into when he got laid off as an engineer. And, um, and he just went from one business to the other. His, his, when he first, uh, he went to go visit a friend who was living in a triplex and he explained him that, you know, these guys are paying my rent. And that's when the light bulb went on. And that's when he started thinking, you know, about and got into things. But me growing up, I was seeing like all the headaches and all the stuff and carrying the bucket, carrying the tools, you know. And, you know, so as we grew up, you know, as things, as, the, as things got greater, it got later. It got greater later, basically, you know. So and it's not get rich quick thing. at all, then. Huh? It's not get rich quick. Heck no. Not at all. It's a long-term play here. And, what, and I'm really seeing a whole lot of mania now with apartments. I haven't, I haven't been online. I haven't talked to anybody. I just started doing podcasts. And, and I'm looking at the mania about apartments going on right now. And, and I'm just like, wow, what the heck is going on? Because I grew up, we were in the business, and we were almost like foreigners. Like, you know, no apartments. What are you doing? Now everybody like apartments is a whole different story, you know, but there's so many people trying to get in the game or in the game and, and, um, 
there's a huge mania around apartments right now. And um, to extend, it kind of scares me a little bit what's going to happen. Not to me personally, but just to other people that kind of, you know, not have the background or, or people taken for a ride, you know, with syndications and stuff like that and all kinds of things. Not to say all syndications. What do you see wrong with the strategies that a lot of people are implementing in the, in the space right now? Well, I think the whole get quick, get rich quick thing. And, and, um, you know, you can just get the investors and people just put the money in and they're able to ride it for a certain period of time, but they're not looking at a lot of things. They're getting properties that are, they're paying a very high, we're at the top of the market. So they're paying high for these properties. And I think one of the things that a lot of people are not taking into account is the whole, if you're buying C-class properties right now, they're probably 50 years old. Right. When a property is 50 years old, you're going to have pipes that are going to go on it. You're going to have all kinds of major things outside of just the roof. Roof is simple. You're going to have some internal things to deal with, and you're going to have to put a lot of money back into the properties just to keep afloat, keep things, you know, going. And it's something that I'm seeing on a lot of my older buildings that I got to put money back in. And and luckily I have a a good grounding and a good base and foundation where I'm able to do that. But I'm like saying like, you know, somebody new coming in, something like this could take somebody out, take somebody under. Because the capital demands are, are heavy. I guess they're going to get, they're going to get heavy, especially going increasing. Cause you know, the older properties, they're going to require cash, you know? So would you recommend like the owner financing model for somebody trying to get in now, or is being well capitalized a much better strategy from your perspective? I mean, if somebody can get owner financing, um, that's like what, that's like the best thing and depending on the interest rate. Right. Yeah, I mean, my struggle. If starting off new, if you're starting off new, and somebody owner is gonna have, you know finance you. I mean, he was lucky that the owner was willing at that time when my, when they got the first deal forty years ago. The interest rates were at fifteen percent. Banks weren't lending no money, and so luckily the mortgage broker assisted. My father didn't know anything. Yeah, he didn't know nothing about apartments. He didn't know anything about you know. He didn't have a clue, but he had the person, the mortgage broker, kind of said, "Well, this is how you can do it." He showed up, looked at the deal. He drove an hour to look at the deal. He had no clue what he was doing. But the mortgage broker explained to him, this is how you can do it. And he told him the whole concept. And the owner was willing for some sort of mortgage broker had trust and faith in him. And for some reason, the owner had faith and trust in him. And if they didn't, he would have never got started. Wow. So were you aware of any like rough patches when he executed against that owner financing strategy? Because usually when people go for owner financing, they only actually have the capital to close the deal. And so if you don't have cash and something goes wrong with the property, you end up in this downward spiral. Um, so no, he, there, I mean, he, he, luckily he was able to b- beg and borrow and get all the money for his down, you know, talk to his friends. He borrowed from left and right. You know, I think he refinanced the house at the time. And when he had one partner that came in with like a, like 30 grand or something like that. And luckily he, after six months, wanted out. So he was, you know, paid off after a year or something. Nice. And he was free and clear. So he went in with a partner too, you know, and, and uh, luckily the partner wanted out after six months, he wanted to go back to India or something. <laughs> and it was good, you know, because down the road, that would have been, it would have been good for that guy's family probably if he stuck and stayed, but he pulled his money back out. Yeah. That was good for us. Then we don't have to like deal with anybody else. Yeah. So now you own your own. And so, you know, transitioning from, you know, the start to the second generation and 
going to scale, right? I think the second generation is for scale. So when you decided that, you know, you were going to come back and actually do this as a full-time role, what's your vision for it and when you started and where you at now and where do you see yourself going? When I started 20 years ago, I was more of a property manager. Mm-hmm. And then somewhere along the roads, uh, some, somewhere along those, that time, I read the Kiyosaki book. And that's kind of like when the light went on of looking at it in a whole different light aspect of not just being a, a property manager, not just being a, a worker, but being an investor and being a, um, a business owner, operator, you know? And that's when I started, that's when I started seeing, cause I, I'm, I'm really like, I always had that entrepreneurial thing in me. I always, I was, I was, you know, I studied the Carlton Sheets book, you know, course and all the, all these different things, you know, I tried, I've tried my hands in a whole different other, business ventures, you know, yeah. and, and I failed forward many times, you know, and, and this was always the base for me to come back to. So this, this, this allowed me the time to investigate other things, you know, early on, but now I'm just fully devoted into this. Right. You know, I'm not looking left and right anymore. I'm looking straight ahead. Okay. Okay. And we were having a conversation about, um, you know, the approach and a lot of people were trying to get free and not do anything. And you're like, head down, going full speed ahead on being the best in class operator in the country. So, you know, at this juncture, why is that front of mind for you? See, I don't know about the best owner operator in the country, but I'm going to be, I'm, I'm going to be the op- owner and operator that I am, you know, and, 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 um, and compete against myself, you know, so how, where I can grow. Right. Um, there was a time for many years after I started becoming more of the, the investor type and started getting into that mentality, then I started not being so much of an operator, but more so delegating and creating systems for people to work. And so I wanted to, uh, I would try to create a system for me to get out so that I don't have to work basically. So the system can work without me as much as possible. And I can just oversee the system and I don't have to be so involved with the day to day. Fast forward now to today, you know, ever since I did this last deal with the 828 doors, I'm fully involved, you know, I'm working five, six days a week sometimes, you know, and, 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 and fully involved with the day to day. You know, I have managers, I have maintenance techs, I have, you know, over 50 employees, but I'm involved in the day to day aspects of growing the business because I don't feel like anybody else can, um, be more careful with what I have, so to speak, yeah. if that's the word, you know, I'm not going to say they're not, there's other people that are much smarter than me and I want to meet them too at some point. I just can't afford to pay them right now. I'd rather pay myself right now <laughs> and figure it out. You know, there was a time, look, there was a time when I thought like I, I didn't really have training in this, in, in the whole property management thing. And I got a property management company to take over one of my buildings. Six months later, I took it back from them. Wow. Yeah. I realized, I realized that these guys didn't know what they was doing. Like, you know, I, I know, I know today people, companies are more sophisticated, but it was just my own self doubt thinking that somebody else is going to be smarter and be able to do it better than me and come to realize like, I'm luckily, luckily I learned that lesson then that now I would never give my property unless I like, unless I invested outside my neighborhood. If I bought something in Florida or something like that, I would get a property management company. But as long as I'm investing here in my area of Pennsylvania, we're going to be hands-on. And even if I get something in Florida or somewhere else at some point, 
I get the management company initially, but I'm going to, I'm going to, in the back of my mind, I'm going to build my own team, you know, and, and take it over because why should somebody else get that? Like, why can't I get that money too? That's the great thing about being this because you can be the investor and have your own, your property management company too. You can get it from both ends. You make double the money. I think, you know, if you're just an investor and you got the investor, but somebody else is making money, they're making 5%, 3%, whatever it is off of your gross. They're making that every month. You can keep that. You can have your own property management company. You can just get the guys who, you know, get the people who can be the managers, get the people that do the maintenance, you know, and then you watch your numbers and watch your money. Nobody else is going to watch your money like you are. Yeah, that's interesting. So the, the thing that you didn't enjoy, right? The problems that headaches are now the, the things that put the money in your pocket. So much younger perspective. Now I know that problems create profits, you know, you know, and that trash can become treasure. You know, that's my whole motto. I'm turning trash into treasure every day. I see, I see, I see people move out and the apartment's just trashed. To me, that's an opportunity to make some treasure, you know? So what type of properties do you buy? We've always bought C-class properties. And C-class basically are properties that are in like, you know, that were built in the 70s. You know, no A, no B. But I try to take, from, take a C-class or a C-minus property and try to make it like into a B-minus property at least. Or B property. I can't make it an A property, that's for sure. Why do you pick that asset? Or why do you pick that class of property instead of the other two that you mentioned, Bs and As? That's all I can afford. <laughs> You know, there's a lot of key reasons, you know, C-class is where, where is, is the stability is there. It's the workforce housing, you know, it's the people that are always going to need, it's a strong demographic, you know, whatever the market entails, recession, recovery, hyper, hyper supply, C-class is always going to be in demand. You know, so it's a strong, steady and stable. Well, I don't see if you see the back of my shirt. Yeah. Strong, steady and stable type of, type of deal, you know, and, um, you know, I think C-class wins. You know, whereas A class, once the, once the, once you have changes in the economy, so people's A class, if they can afford, to, if they're paying two thousand dollars on your apartment and they can get a house and pay a mortgage for fifteen hundred dollars, what are they going to do? They're going to get the fifteen dollar house, you know. But our our properties is just there in that market where people are pretty, you know, it's a strong asset class of producing income. There's strong stability there. So, at and, one point, and one one other thing that's key that I forgot. I'm sorry is the whole value add thing that I can buy C-class that's been broken down, busted, mismanaged, distressed, and I can add value to it. I can bring up the community. I can improve the community and I can, I can double in value over a period of time. You know, the A-class is going to take a longer time to double in value. So the other thing that I thought is really unique about your approach is you guys do 15 year mortgages and you pay them off. Tell me more about that approach and, and why you execute that way. Yeah. See, I didn't know that everybody wasn't doing that. I just thought that everybody was doing that, you know, cause that's just what we did 15 years, you know, and now I see, you know, you don't have a strong cash flow when you have a 15 year mortgage, but in 15 years you own the property free and clear. And then you can pull the money back out, you know, and at our, at our points where we are, the more cash flow we get, Everybody's talking cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. And I, and I get it. You know, it's important to have cash flow, positive cash flow. But the more the cash flow we have on an op, there's the more taxes we're going to pay on that cash flow. You know? And so if I can, you know, pay down the mortgage, pay off the bank, get the bank off my butt, the bank 
build a good reputation with the bank and the bank knows that I'm going to, I'm solid. I got a reputation of paying you back in 15 years all the time. Your money's guaranteed with me. The bank's going to give me more money, do more deals. And then when you have a property, right? After 15 years, you have a property that's paid off. Then you can buy those other properties that are more risky and still be in the clear because the other properties can finance or hold up the one property until it gets stabilized. You know, even in this deal right here that we just did with the 800, the property was so, um, it wasn't strong enough to carry a mortgage by itself. We needed to execute, we needed to refinance another property that was paid off that we had bought years back, you know, for less than 5 million that's now worth 25 million. Hey guys, back in 2016, me and the team decided to formalize Dreamcatchers as an organization that could help people achieve their wildest dreams. If this is you, please visit our website at dreamshouldbereal.com in order to find out the details of our services and how we can help you become a Dreamcatcher. Talk to you soon. Because it was, you know, mismanaged. The person didn't, you know, had the managers put the... Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> what? You bought it for... What? 96, we bought a property for 293 units for about 5 million. 96, I don't know how many years that is for 4, 13, and 20. So that's like 30 some years. No. 96, 4, no. Yeah, 24 years. Uh huh. So it was paid off for a couple years. Yeah. That was 293 units. Yeah. Now the valuation in that city. Those properties are easily, you know, selling at hundred thousand dollars a unit. So that's like really, I'm, I'm, I'm being conservative when I say twenty five million. I could probably get more close to thirty million on the property if I sold today. Yeah. But we were able to take fifteen million out of that deal and use that fifteen million plus five million dollar cash. We got twenty million, and then the thirty million is mortgaged on the property. And on this deal, because of the, like I said, because of this, the the condition we got it for 25 year instead of a 15 year on this property. So we have more room to breathe. That, so you talked about doubling, but I think five times five is 25 million. So yeah, more than double there. That's crazy. Right. Um, but that's the power of real estate. Yeah, because I mean, it's going to go up if you take care of it. And so you're taking such a making it no more. <laughs> Nobody's making real estate no more. We no. got what we got, you know. No. And the population is constantly increasing. Right. So the value in the property is going to go over long term. It's always going to go up. In the short term, it's going to go up and down, but in the long term, it's going to it's always going to go up. So since you're taking such a long term approach to your hold strategy. Um, how is that impacting your day-to-day -day operational decisions? You got me there. <laughs> My day-to-day -day is like, you know, I just, we just, you know, we just do what's practical. You know, on a day-to-day -day basis, what's, where, 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 where do we, what do we need to do most? You know, um, we don't have like a whole lot of spreadsheets and charts and we ain't, you know, you know, um, working that way where we got this five-year plan here, you know, we just, I just see things, what needs to be done. And I do it as accordingly. If I can do it, I do this down. And, you know, this is the type of business that there's always something to do and it, it will come to you. You don't have to go to it a lot of times. It'll come to you. 
you know, and, and, and if I, if I, if I try to do everything, I'll get overwhelmed and I, and I, and I, and I won't be able to afford to do it. So mm -hmm. I got to pick and choose my battles. And a lot of times my battles pick me. I don't even pick them. <laughs> I'm trying to say. So, you know, you're so much more than just a, a real estate investor and owner. And so I don't know if you want to dive into some of the other really cool stuff you've done over the years, but I want to give you opportunity to talk about Karma Cast and all the other things you got going on if you like. Yeah. So like about two months ago, we started a um, channel called Sharma's Karma on YouTube because the stuff we were dealing with, especially in the New Deal, I mean, with like just the, they were shutting off the water on us or shutting off, you know, the gas or, you know, they would give us all these shutoff notices because the guy that we bought this property from wouldn't pay his bills. You know, the phone lines were shut off in the high rise building and it was just the crazy situations we were dealing with. It was just so interesting and comical and surreal. I was like, yo, I got to document this, you know? So that's how the idea of Sharma's Karma came up. And I really didn't want to go on camera. I didn't really want to. I always lived a very private, secluded type of life, you know? But it just felt like it was a thing that for me to do. And I just pushed past my fear and just started going on camera. And then we started a podcast called Karma Cast as well. We just have three episodes right now. I'm trying to get my father on this week to do the deal podcast analyzing the deal because that's the what he's really good at you know that's his specialty of looking at a deal analyzing it and he's 80 years old and um so it'd be good to be able to memorialize you know some of his ideas and concepts and that teaching i always go back and refer to it nice nice so just kind of sharing the journey you know documenting on what we're doing and also sharing the journey and you know entertaining inspiring other people so if if you had to and I don't know if this is a fair question or not, but if you projected out 10 years, what does life look like for you guys in 10 years? Is there a real estate portfolio target or is there an impact target? What, what does that look like for you? 10 years from now, hopefully my son, I got two boys. They're 15 and 17. So 10 years from now, they will definitely be in the business, I'm sure. I've already talked to them. They're kind of already geared toward that way of like saying like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Oh, I want to do what dad does. So that's cool. If they wanted to do something else, um, that would be fine too. Cause I always felt like, you know, I was forced into this and I wanted to do something else. And I had to go find what that something else was. And I was like a guy who was grown up, I'm not still, still trying to figure out what am I going to do when I grow up? And, um, and it was in front of me the whole time, you know, and, and I had to, I was doing it, but I was like, a part of me was always thinking I should be somewhere else with somebody else doing something else. And today I'm not, I'm integrated fully into what I'm doing. So at least they have a clearer vision at an early age than I did for most of my life, you know, because I was just an adventurer, explorer, and I had to like touch everything and taste everything and experience everything. And it was good, you know, and going, so right now I have 2000 units. I'd like, my goal is to get 5,000. You know, am I, am I gung ho and like all, all out, if I get 4,000, will I be unhappy or, you know, no, no, not at all. Because I really live more so, even though I can set an intention to have 5,000, I really live with it, with just the flow of life. And, and, and as you increase your vibration, as you increase your wisdom, as you as just grow your energy, things are going to come to you. You know, today my, my tea said, let it come to you. You know, when you open the Yogi tea, it's got a little saying on it. It said, let it come to you. And that's true, man. You build your energy, you build your base, it'll come to you. We've never been the type that we really had, even this deal we just did, we didn't, we didn't hunt for the deal. The deal came to us. 
once you build your reputation and you've been in the business, the deals will come to you. You don't have to go hunting. In the beginning, you got to hunt. As you establish yourself, then it's going to come to you. So you're, you're a believer that, you know, the spider always wins, right? You create the web and then it comes into the web and you're able to eat versus having to go hunt. I like, never looked at it that way, but yeah, <laughs> that's what you want to say. That's fine. You know, but I'm, I'm a believer, like I said, you build your energy, you build your consciousness. And as you grow internally and externally, your vibration becomes a magnetism force, a force of magnetism. You magnetize to you what your greater good is. So where'd you learn that concept? Where did that come from? Did you, it sounds like the Over secret. 20 years, I've been really into like, like the metaphysical thing, you know, which is anything beyond physical is metaphysical. And I believe that we have, we're not just a physical being, you know, where I really believe that we're a spiritual being and that like, you know, that's why a lot of my time was spent those, those years when I was like semi-retired and I had my business, but at the same time I was exploring, touching, tasting other things. I really had a, I felt like I had a divine calling and I felt like, my purpose was to do more of a holistic thing, like a holistic, have a holistic practice, so to say. And today I'm able to combine the two because I know that there's no difference. There's no separation between business and spirituality. You know, it's where the rubber meets the road. And I can merge the two worlds together. You know, a real estate is very earthy. It's the earth, right? The spirituality is very like, you know, the sky. So, you know, bringing heaven to earth, you know, kind of connecting the, the yin and the yang or whatever you want to say, father, sky, mother, earth, you know, bringing the two worlds together. That's beautiful. I, it made me think about Gary Vee talking about the sky and the dirt. He talks about the sky and the dirt all the time and, yeah. you know, being heady and having big ideas and big concepts, but being willing to get your hands dirty and actually do the work to make those things come to life. And so when I think about that, I think of you. Um, so, I could go a couple of different ways and the metaphysical stuff's really interesting to me. And so did you do any studying on the metaphysical? Yeah, I went, you know, you see the movie, the secret. Yeah. I'm not a big proponent of the whole thing. Um, but the one gentleman, African-American gentleman in the secret, uh, Dr. Michael Beckwith, yeah. we studied with him, me and my brother both studied with him for two years. We did a practitioner training there around the millennium of 2000. Now, after that, I came back, and that's when I got back in the apartment business. Wow. So you prior, prior to doing that study, you have to do like four years of study in, in, in the courses in order to, to be able to get into that course, that specific course at that time. And um, so it was a place called Agape International Spiritual Center in, in Los Angeles. So I spent two years in Los Angeles um, doing the practitioner training. We graduated, and we came back to to Pennsylvania, got back into business. At that time, there was the new deal that we just acquired. And that's why I was just getting into property management and dealing with a high rise building. And, you know, I mean, I had done property management before we even went to California and other properties a long time ago before that. So did you see a big shift in your world after you did that experience? Well, you know, after I came, it took a long time for me to integrate that into my day to day. So a big part of me felt like that's what I was supposed to be doing more so like as a, as a profession, if that makes any sense. Because there are like people that are like counselors and, and spiritual counselors. And so I thought, and then I studied a lot of things called like um, transformational breathing. It was just like a breathing concept that would help you to clear your, your, your patterns in your subconscious mind through just breathing. Because the way you breathe is the way you do life. And, and um, 
just by, you know, we could look at somebody's breath pattern. We could say like, oh, this person's not grounded or this person's, you know, their heart is closed because they might have had a dominating parent, stuff like that. So I spent a lot of years like getting into all those different types of studies. And uh, like I said, I thought that that was my path. So um, then I finally did retreats in that, in, in that, in that type of field. And like after I, after I did, I did two of them. I did one in California for breath practitioners. And then I did one here in Pennsylvania. And after I did those two, I was like, I am not doing this no more. <laughs> I got my taste of this. <laughs> because so were you a participant or you were running them? Huh? You were a learning them and doing them. Okay, okay. I'm doing everything, you know. So I did two of them. I did one for breath practitioners and trainers in California, in Palm Springs. And then I went and did one. This was around 2007. And after I did those two, I said, I'm done. You know, I thought that that's what I wanted to do is to be like this retreat person and do these retreats. But it's a lot of, man, it's tiring. I'm too lazy for all that work. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> I mean, you're making me think you know, about it was, it was, it was, Like, you know, I wasn't really into the marketing thing at that time. I have a hard time marketing spirituality and those type of things at that time. And I couldn't. Um, both retreats were very successful. I just didn't feel like I'm the type of guy, once I get the full taste of it, I can see this is what I want to do. I don't want to do it, pursue it further. And I can see that this is just not what. So I'm got it out my system, they say. You get it out of your system, you go for it, you get it out of your system. I got that stuff out of my system. And I still, well, you know, who knows how it'll come in what ways it'll come back, you know. But I still am able to use it on myself, right? you know, or help somebody on the side here and there if they're open to it. If, if, I, if I feel, you know, you have a toolbox and you have to use different tools for different situations with different people. And, and sometimes I'm able to use that, you know, it's a part of my makeup but it's not something I needed to pursue and to become professional with, you know, I have a professional business. So that's what I meant. Like I was like separated, you know what I mean? I had to bring the two together because I thought like I should be over there, you know, speaking and building this whole career, doing this holistic kind of stuff. And here you got apartments and dealing with tenants and you know what I mean? Collecting the rent. This guy didn't pay the rent again. God, man. You know, I'm tired of these deadbeats, you know, people trashing apartments and all that stuff. You know, it's, it's not a, it's not an easy business, but at all, there's nothing easy. But the benefits that, you know, if you, if you got the grit and if you're ready to go through the school of hard knocks and you got that tenacity, you got that perseverance, you know, and you got that head on your, you got, you got to have a good business head. You know, it's just practical. It's common sense stuff. It's not rocket science, but you know, we live in an age where even common sense is uncommon. Common sense is uncommon. I like it. I like it. So you've agreed to come down and hang out with us for the uh, Mid-Atlantic Multifamily yeah, Investing. First, first multifamily conference, man. The first doing? one. Yes. This is going to be awesome. We're going to have you do a keynote and spend some time with the VIPs. Um, why'd you agree to come? And I mean, why ours? Why, why is this the first one? There's plenty of other ones out there. You and me connected, you know, I think we're like so brothers from other mothers, you know, and, and like we're soul brothers. And, uh, you know, I love to speak. I feel like I have a very, that's one thing that I have done in my life that in those, in those years, I've, I've, I've been able to speak to audiences, go to different conferences around the country. And, and um, that's one of the gifts I think I have is to, to communicate and speak. And more so in front of an audience. This is my second time doing this on a computer thing with you, but, but, you know, feeling the energy of the audience and really be able to provide value and give, give, give inspiration 
to an audience is one of the my most favorite things I like to do. So when you when that thing when you said if I could speak I come yeah I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm there, man. I'm gonna be there. I'm gonna do my best job. I'm starting to work on it already. It's you know and it works on me when I get an opportunity to speak for that period of time, the two months or whatever month, it's, it's going to be just working in me. And like, it's just going to affect and impact different areas of my life. It's going to help me to raise up higher. And um, yeah, it doesn't, you don't just show up and speak. It's like, there's a whole process that goes into it, you know, of, 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 of preparing yourself to be that channel, to be that vessel, you know? Love it, love it, love it. So to wrap this show, I usually ask two questions. The first one is, what gift are you giving the world? Well, like I said, just said, you know, my, I think one of the gifts I have is my, my communication. You know, just being myself. First and foremost, I learned that the, big, the, the greatest service, you know, I, sp- I spoke at one uh, conference one time, it was about world service was the, the topic. And when I was preparing for it, what I came to realize that the greatest service you can give the world is just to be who you are. Be yourself. It sounds so simple, and it's, but to me, it's just so true. And it's some, one of the hardest things to do. Bruce Lee, in, a, in an interview, said, they asked him, what's the hardest thing or something like this? The hardest thing in life is to honestly express who you are. And I didn't understand what he was saying. Years, ago, years later, when I started to give that talk, and that's when, the, and that's when that answer came, that the greatest world, way to serve the world is just to be who you are. Let who you are, you know, shine. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And the last question is, what is the one thing you want people to take away from this conversation if they don't get anything else? Obviously, be yourself, you know, find your own groove. You know, sometimes it takes to me, it took something, sometimes something something can be right in front of you and you don't see it. And you're looking left and right. But eventually you got to like, see what's in front of you. You know, see what's most practical. And, 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 you know, one of the things that kind of, had me messed up for a long time. It's like, they said, you got to follow your passion. You got to follow your passion. How about putting your passion into what's in front of you? You know, because here I am looking left and right, trying to follow and find, but it was right there. And now I'm just putting my passion in what's in front of me, no matter what that is. You know, pour your passion into what's in front of you. And you'll go from somebody who's seeking to somebody who's finding Yeah. <laughs> Guys, if you made it to this part of the podcast, you obviously love what we've shared. So do us a favor, share it with somebody, give us a rating review, a written review. And until the next time, we'll talk to you soon. Mr. Sharma, thank you again, sir. Thank you, brother. My pleasure. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.